Welcome to Digitally Creative. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me this week is a guy who does some pretty wild stuff with the CNC, which is becoming a pattern of sorts on this show. This week, I have someone who you know for a couple of fun reasons, and we're definitely going to talk about those also, but I have the one and only Nick Birchtold. What's going on, Nick? How you doing? Doing well. How are you doing, Vincent? I'm, I'm, I'm doing great, man. I am, I am so excited. I was telling Nick before we started recording that I kind of feel like I'm talking to a bit of a celebrity because he's one of those guys whose work you see just over and over. Everybody's sharing it like, look at this crazy bastard, what he's doing today. You know, it's just, you you never cease to amaze with the stuff you produce out of your shop. It's It's pretty amazing, dude. Thanks, man. I try to have a lot of fun with it. I think that's I think that's what comes through. I think that that's that's got to be it. That's I I've, something I'm really bad at is having fun in the shop. I'm not gonna lie, I'm terrible at it. Like I go to the shop, I'm, it's like laser focus. You know, pay complete attention, and you know this is the task I have to accomplish. And it's it's this, it's this, it's this, it's process, process, process. Get it done, get it out, go home. You don't strike me as that type of guy. <laughs> surprisingly i am very much you so. are everything's on a schedule um i don't know ever since the instagram page blew up mm. uh, orders for everything across the board have been coming through I've, i find myself turning down way more work than i take on uh, just trying to do fun stuff creative stuff things that people might not have seen before um for me at all like computer generated stuff is huge for me so mm. if i can do it on a computer I can make it in real life usually. Your your so your ability to your ability to model stuff is is impressive. Um, for those of us that for those of us that aren't a hundred percent familiar with your background, um, why don't you take us through how you got to the spot you're at right now? Like, what's your background? How did you how did you learn what you know now, and how did you start collecting the skills that brought you to where you are now? I'll try to keep this short and sweet, but oh, you don't have to. It's a, I... it's a it's a ninety minute podcast. You could talk all you want. I'll just sit back okay. and relax. <laughs> <laughs> For me, uh, I started scroll saw work uh, in Tarja, some fretwork, um, cafe signs, just anything I could cut on a scroll saw in my dad's shop. So me and my dad kind of learned woodworking at the same time. So we would. He would do kind of furniture stuff and I would do kind of artsy stuff. And I was selling those at local craft shows and into that was in high school. So then after high school, I was in college and I was still kind of dabbling in the in charge of work, made a couple big pieces and sold sold a bunch of it. But after that, I went to architecture school. So the 3D modeling and uh, rendering and CNC stuff all started in college in architecture school. So I have a couple degrees in architecture. Right now I work for, I'm a model maker for a, a big architecture firm in Chicago. So I run their model shop by myself. So we have all kinds of toys here. And then I have all kinds <laughs> of toys at my own personal shop and getting some new toys. One coming in from Corey at Odyssey. Uh, I got a little, a new little rotary coming in. So we'll see how that I'm, I'm excited to share how that thing holds up and what I can do with that. It's been fun. Then, it's been I, I told him when I had him on, it's been so much fun watching that thing go from concept to product and just hearing him talk about it on their podcast every week. It 
it really makes you kind of just go, I am surrounded by really smart people. Like if you, you, those are the things that when they hit, you really go, the crowd around me is really, really smart. There are some really incredibly smart people around. It's, and seeing how many people, like I know um, Jeff, a weird guy who we just had on a couple of weeks ago, he ordered his also, so he should have his soon. Um, now you're you're ordering yours, and it's just like I also love how many people in our circle are supporting Corey by ordering this machine. It's just it's wild to see. I love that his beta test is going as well as it is for him. So I've been talking to Corey about it for a while, and we were. He told me he wanted me to buy one of his beta machines, so that's why I jumped at it and bought it. Had been thinking about it. Had been talking to him about building one that's kind of an, another tier up from where he's at now. Mm-hmm. So this one that I ordered, the Cyclone, is a it's a three-axis machine, so you can cut Y. You can cut side to side, up and down, and then you can rotate it. So the mm-hmm. machine I have right now, the Haas and my Cam Master, um, are four axes, so you can cut left and right, side to side, up and down, and rotate it. So I was talking to Corey about something for the mach- uh, a new machine that he hasn't developed yet, but a, f- a true four-axis, two-foot-by-four-foot machine where the spindle gets mounted right in the center. So I, I, w- I would like to spin 12 inches instead of his machines are six or seven inches by three mm-hmm. feet long, but I want one that can go four feet long and 12 inches in diameter. So we'll and I know he... That. I know he's he's talking about he's already talking about like what the next model if this one goes well and you know it's received well and he does some good numbers in sales that is the next thing doing a true four axis machine that's like I really I'm not gonna lie I will I would probably never use the capabilities of the cyclone as it is right now and yet I was still kind of look, looking at it going man the idea of making like lightsaber hilts and stuff like that, like the idea of doing stuff like that just on demand for people, oh, that's very tempting. Like it's it's the kind of machine where you could probably justify it very very quick. I mean, you know, I could with just what I do. I could only imagine what you could do with it, based on what you're already doing with similar machines. So yeah, there's a lot you can do with them. I mean, just quick examples would be mallets, uh, rolling mm-hmm. pins. So I, was, I did a couple ravioli rolling pins. So it's like a rolling pin shape, but it's got the little cutouts mm-hmm. to make the pockets for the the cheese and the meat. So things like that would be easy. But then they're also uh, I don't know for everybody, but for me it's pretty easy to modify that. So I could put a skull or a, or anything kind of <laughs> in the shape of that, and then do like a rolling pin that would roll out different shapes and stuff like that it's it, into I, that. just looking at just looking at the stuff just looking at the stuff on your website like I've, I've been i've been well aware of your stuff i've been well aware of your stuff for a long time and just you know now now that i'm kind of starting to understand how you do it because i was telling like i was telling Corey, i never really understood what his machine actually did until i wa- until one day on his instagram story he posted a video of the machine running and then it was like Oh, that's what this does. Okay, now I understand. And then I start understanding how like people like you do what you do. And I'm like, okay, now it's all starting to come together. Like now how these machines work and how people use them and what the upside of them is all starts to come together. I mean, I'm a little slow sometimes. If I don't have a machine in front of me with somebody going, this is how it works. Sometimes it takes me a minute. But <laughs> So you have all this incredible technology. You have all this, all these skills for design. 
And somehow or another, somehow or another, you get to be known as the boob guy. Like that's that's kind of. I mean, I I don't want. I'm not even saying it to being insulting. It's kind of your thing. How in God's name did that happen? <laughs> For me, uh, I guess it all kind of revolves around social media. Um, I was kind of dragged into social media, kicking and screaming. Never <laughs> wanted to be on Facebook. Never wanted to be on MySpace or whatever the shit that was. And then like Instagram. So I have buddies in Chicago and my wife. They're like you have you have to start showing these things that you make online. Like nobody else is kind of doing this yet. So I was like, all mm-hmm. right. We'll get on. So I got on Instagram and I don't probably similar to a lot of people out there. The things that pop up are women in tight shirts and cleavage and stuff like that. So I was like, I could probably put a woodworking spin on that. So then I got on the computer, (laughs) modeled just a a sphere. And then I put two little bubble spheres on it that looked like a nipple. So the first iterations of the boobs were pretty crude, but you just kind of it. People wanted to see them. So it was like, it was cool, built a following kind of around the boobs now and try to do each one different. I get really bogged down trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. So for me, I have to put a new spin on it each time it happens. And the vase, I did a a couple like kind of boob towers. So they were 10 inch round, 24 inch tall. They had a hundred boobs carved on them. And that, that video is at like 20 million views right now on Instagram. So that blew my mind it skyrocketed the account and then that came with hundreds if not thousands of requests for do you have these can you sell them can we buy what you have and then i put them up for one batch and sold them out immediately put a second batch up sold them out immediately i've got a couple floating around now but and then that led to other projects like can you put boobs on an ashtray can you put boobs on a baseball bat? on a on a mallet. I don't, 100 people at least have asked about the boob mallet. And I do have ideas for it. I just haven't made it yet. That's crazy. I, it's so it's so funny because you never know when you start something, you never know what your niche is going to be. You never know what your thing is going to be. You never know what's going to take off. You just kind of go with the flow until something hits and then you ride it and ride it until it dies. Right. It's, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I'm, I'm, you know, you're sitting there going, all right, I got these cool machines. I'm going to do all this cool stuff. I'm a cool, I got, I'm a CNC woodwork. I'm going to do all this stuff. Boobs. And it's all of a sudden it's like, that's all you, you kind of, it's a funny rut to be in and not in a bad way either. It's just like, wow. Like who you, go back 10 years and go yeah one day you're going to be known <laughs> for doing this one weird specific thing but it's it's kind of cool though because now if anyone does it it's clear who they're taking after like you pretty much planted your flag there and it's your signature now i wear it <laughs> i'm known in my circle i'm known as the boob guy my family all calls me the boob guy my friends call me the boob guy I guess now everyone on the internet calls me the boob guy. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, I, it's, and it's, it's done lovingly too, because I think a lot of the people that even I know in our circles, the people that know, you know, us as makers, it's not, it's not in a derisive way at all. It, people are truly impressed by what you do, you know, because even though it's boobs and it's funny because boobs are funny, right? But it's the, the work of what you actually produce is exceptionally good. Um, it's not just normal, typical woodworking stuff. It's like, I'm looking at the, for example, I'm looking at the cleavage lamp, the cleavase 
um, the two different cleavases, and the short stack lamp. I'm looking at those things. I'm going, I can't believe the workmanship in these. Like, I just, I can't. I can't wrap my head around them. Have you have you made anything where you've just gone, and we'll talk, I know your most recent project is going to be one of them, but have you made anything where you've just gone, wow, that's really cool. Like, sometimes you have to have impressed yourself at some point. So the most recent project, definitely. <laughs> I had the idea, and then I, I made it, so it was awesome. And to see it mm -hmm. just come to life was incredible for myself and I think about 80 other people. <laughs> You're not um, wrong. <laughs> I guess the, the CNC with the boob stuff, like on a the short stack lamp or the vase like that, it's 100 boobs carved on a cylinder that's hollowed. So I make a blank out of on the table saw. So I'll make a hexagon blank that's hollow, and then I'll mill that. So I make it usually out of eight-quarter wood, so it's about two inches thick. The walls, so I have two inches to play with. But those, like riding tool paths for those, I never know. So, like, I don't know if you've made it there yet, but machines can only handle so many lines of code. Oh, yeah. Mine can handle about 900,000. So I have to work. For me, it's a balance of how long is this going to take to make, how long is it going to take to mill, and then how many lines of code, like how fine can I go with the lines of code? Because I have to run it as one pass because, if you know, the, the wood movement. So if it's sure. if I have to run two passes, by the time I'm halfway through, the wood has expanded and contracted a little bit. So I need to run that one continuous pass. So it's a lot of fine tuning on the computer and then trial and error of if I want to cut a 5,000 step over, which is my usual finish pass so i don't That's have to tiny. do a lot of hand work <laughs> mm -hmm. but that comes for me i don't care if it runs on the machine for 12 i'm in the shop for 12 hours every day so i don't care if it runs for 12 hours where right. someone needs to cut some like my stuff would be different from someone else's like production shop where that needs to be cut in two hours otherwise you're losing money for me it's all about the process and then i guess that relates back to the jobs i choose to take and not take is is it interesting I don't want to make any more boob faces like the ones I've made. I'll make sure. new ones. Sure. You that's, it's applying what you've already done, but in a way that'll keep you interested. I, you're, I think that's something that a lot of us go through. If you, you start to make the same things over and over again, some people, they just you know naturally shy away from that because they can't. The idea of making the same things over and over again is just so repugnant to them that they can't handle it. They don't want to deal with that, but... Yeah, you, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, you've integrated them into so many different things, but all the designs are different, too. Like, there's, you know, different woods and different, you know, there's a different look to them. It's it's really, it's just wild. I, it makes me smile, too. I think that's part of it. I think that's, I think that's what, that's why people like the work so much. I think because it's just so unique. That was part of the consensus with the boobs, too. It's everybody likes boobs. I mean, mm -hmm. I've had dozens of requests for penises now too and it's like i don't think it's going to get the reception that the boobs get no actually probably i'd be honest with you i i don't think that would be a good business move <laughs> no. so i've turned all of that down and kind of i've made some new friends on instagram that kind of do that type of work too and sure a handful of our buddies the makers have sent me there's a clay there's somebody who made a a penis vase or a penis vessel that had dicks that go around it and then some are down and then some are up and they're like you can do something like this next and it's like i won't i don't think you can pay me enough to do it you know but. it is there's something it's there's something even though it's i mean even though as adults it's not really but you know it to some extent there's a certain amount of 
rebelliousness to it, right? There's a certain amount of like, ha ha, look what I can make. Ha ha, I can take this super high-end tool and make something silly, you know? And then make it so beautiful that you can't dismiss it. (laughs) That is a big part of it. (laughs) So you do... You do model making for an architectural firm. Yeah. That's a why I didn't even know that was like a specialized thing that they did in house or I always, I mean, I've, everybody has seen the architectural models. You've seen, usually you see them on a conference room table as, you know, a bunch of suits are discussing a design and somebody puts a model in the conference room and everybody's like, whoa, is that what it's going to look like? I can just imagine the cloak coming off it as they show it. But I didn't know that was like a specialized task within the firm i always thought they outsource that kind of thing that's kind of cool for the most part they do i guess me when i got the job that i have now um so i work for adrian smith and gordon gill architecture adrian mm-hmm. smith is the architect of the world's largest the world's tallest buildings now so he did the big one in dubai we're doing an even taller one in saudi and then we're talking about doing an even taller one later so it's, <laughs> it's crazy but most of the time for most other architecture firms, they outsource the models. Um, Interesting. They hired me on with a directive of no more outsourcing. Let's do everything here. Let's, why are we paying $4,000 for a set of vacuum floor molds? How much does a vacuum floor machine cost? And I look it up and I get a two foot by four foot one for $2,500. Sure. So I can yeah. buy the whole machine for less than the cost of doing one project. Yeah. And materials are, materials are insignificant. I mean, it's. No. Yeah. In this. So that's kind of what's on the wall behind me. I'm in my model shop right now. Yeah, for so those watching all, on could... YouTube, there's a wall, basically a wall of fame behind Nick as as we're talking. And my eyes are kind of wandering as we're chatting. Like I'm looking at all the stuff on the wall back there. It's kind of cool. So are those buildings, that, are those models you've built or? Yep. Everything oh, on the wall so here cool. is what I built. So how do you... How do you approach that? I mean, I'm assuming I'm assuming that you get a dig, you get the stuff in digital form, so you don't have to translate it into digital, right? You're not going from like architectural, like a guy that sits on a drafting table with pens and rulers and draws stuff, and you're turning it digital. You're getting it digital, and then what's the process look like for that? Because I'm fascinated by this because I've never met anyone that did this. So, so for me, in the way we work here, um, every there's teams of designers. So we'll maybe we'll be working on six different architecture projects. So there will mm-hmm. be a team of people for each one of those projects. And then the partners kind of oversee all of it. Me, I work on every team that needs a model and most do. We're a big model oriented firm, unlike many others out there today too, but we do a lot of hands-on stuff. I do a lot of study models. What's on the wall is they're all finished models or marketing models or presentation models. They all go to the clients and they keep them and they show them and they raise money with them. And just like you were explaining, the, the curtain type thing is <laughs> when, the, when the head guy, when the billionaires walk into the room, it's, they unveil it and then they show it. And then it's they, the Tada they, moment. It's the Tada moment. <laughs> yeah. So the, I think. Um, we're all in agreement here of model making or model making and architecture is the easiest way to show an idea to someone who's not familiar with the computer side of it. But the way we work here is the teams make 3D model files and then they send me the 3D model of a tower. I dissect that, pull out information that's not pertinent to model making. So we work at a lot of different scales. So if we're going to make something that's really small, 
we don't need window line mullion details. We need a window shape and a building shape. Getting into bigger models, we need more of that detail, but still not all of it. I'm not showing like a, I've never done a model where we show like the layers of drywall or something on the mm-hmm. inside that's just rendered as kind of post shade or dead space or it has a thickness so I can add that thickness and either mill it or laser cut it or 3D print it and not have to show all that detail. But there is, I guess when the teams send me models, I still have to get in there and kind of fix it up and it has to be perfect. For me, it has to be perfect. So when you're using precision tools, if it's perfect on the computer, it's more likely to be perfect in real life. So there are always tolerances and offsets to that too, but we do work through a lot of mock-ups. So if I'm going to do a big tower model, I'll do a six inch section of it and figure out every single detail of that through that mock-up and then get that approved by the partners and then do what I do and make a big model. So do they, so when you do, what do you make these models out of? Do you do, do you do cross sections or is it just like a, a, an outside rend, like a, what a rendering of the outside of the building would be like, what kind of models are you producing out of your shop in the, at the day job? Everything. Um, yeah. Really everything. So oh boy. I do, we do kind of trophy models. That would be the, the dumbest down part of it, but some of the most complicated things to make on a CNC machine. So our kind of trademark is polished aluminum models. So they look like Oscar trophies, you know, it's cool. We're precision milling this thing out. And then I don't do, polishing here because it takes me too long and I don't have the equipment to do that. So I have a, I have a network of people that I work with in Chicago to a polisher being one of them. So then I mill the parts, I sand them, I send them to the polisher, he polishes them, they come back and then I assemble because most things can't be made in one solid piece. But Yeah, I guess I, I, that's, that's what, that's what I was having trouble wrapping my brain around. I'm like, how do you get this all? Okay. So, all right. So you, you get it in parts and then you, how do you put the aluminum stuff together? Like, what's the process? But roughly, you don't have to, you don't have to give it an exhaustive detail. I'm just curious. Like, what do you do to hold the aluminum parts together? You just glue it, or sometimes glue. Now, yeah? um, okay, we're trying to. I've kind of developed a way to do everything with magnets, so all hidden oh. fasteners, no visible fasteners, which is the figuring out is the pain in the ass part, and then you can't mm-hmm. settle, so you have to do. You have to cut your magnet holes way deep, screw in magnets, not glue in magnets. Right, so right. I cut my pockets really, really deep and then I put the magnet way in there. And then when I go, and then, so I can take it apart and put it back together. And then for the final, we space those magnets really close together and then it pops like when it goes. So if I do yeah, a, and they're not a letting go of the building, yeah. And then you can't pull it apart at that point. But the partners do get a kick out of showing that to clients. So kind of my process videos and then if they can physically take it apart they take it apart to show how it was made like how did you how did you learn all this stuff did you have did you have to apprentice under somebody or did you just kind of walk in and like become the problem solver guy it's like hey we need this make it work so a little more background is right after grad school i worked at a gun manufacturing facility so we Mm -hmm. would do basically any wooden part you would ever see on a gun all the furniture probably went through that yeah okay then i learned kind of for i didn't apprentice under the guy but i worked directly under their head programmer i was going to be his number two if i would have stayed there and then i would have taken over his job when he was ready to leave and then they had me on as kind of a, a designer too so i would come up with 
ways to smooth out. And these things were crazy. We do fully sculpted like rifle stocks, integrated one piece rifle stocks, bright pink layered birch, AK 47 parts. It was crazy. (laughs) So he taught me a a ton in my short, I was probably there six months, but he taught me so much in that six months before I accepted the job I'm in now. And I've been here for about 10 years, but programming CNC's was without tutelage trial and error under that guy. It was like, no, you're going to cut it like this because it, it works like this and you're going to do 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 this. And then with the tolerances for firearms, obviously it has to be the best of what it is because you can't have those things fail. That's almost the antithesis of how we function as makers. Like it's like we, you know, trial and error is our motto. Like we live and die by trial and error. And, you know, it's like, no, there is no trial. There is no error. There is this. And there is only this. (laughs) So I was in, I went to UIC for architecture undergrad school and they didn't have a CNC machine at the time. So my dad ordered one of the first shot bots off the line. So we had one of the first generation shot bots. He taught himself how to use that by reading that book. And then he taught me how to use it. So I would, on my holiday breaks, I would go to my dad's shop and build my architecture models in lieu of building them with basic woodworking tools at the university. So wow. I'm, what year is this now, roughly? Probably 2008, 2009. Oh, wow. You're way ahead of the curve. So you were- way ahead of the curve that explains a lot actually (laughs) i've been working with cnc's 10 or 15 years now probably yeah because i mean of all of all varieties the first mention i can think of you know of like the x carve was 20 i want to say 2013 ish 2014 ish where it started to become an option for people like me you know, it's not where it's not something that you're finding only in high end woodworking shops or furniture shops or stuff like that. So you're you're way ahead of the curve. That's wild. So the Invenable Invenables does the X carve, right? Uh huh. Um, they did a, a product called the Carvey. So they mm-hmm. we had an old guy that used to work for the architecture firm that was friends with the guy who started Invenables, which is in Chicago. So I got to go out and beta test the Carveys. Like they had me come out, take it out of the box, set it up, and then cut something. So. That was fun and cool, cool to use. And it's like, eh, it's a little machine that can't do very much, but for desktop and people in a very small shop, if not inside your house, almost, you can use this machine to cut totally. basic things. I think they were targeting, they were targeting education with it because it's, it's an enclosed machine. It's got, you know, it basically keeps everything contained. You're not going to end up ruining your whole classroom with dust and chips and it's a surprisingly rigid little machine too, which is the most impressive part. Same with the um, the Carbide Nomad, which is basically the same machine just made by Carbide 3D. It's it's incredible how rigid these tiny little machines actually are. So, so for yeah, for me, it, even I have a four foot by eight foot Cam Master Stinger three, and that the tolerances on that are crap compared to something like the Hots that I have here. So it's like my work it's really trying to get down to the thousands like we have these precision tools so why not make precision objects and cutting things on that i can see the difference and then that's probably like a thirty thousand dollar machine compared to a hundred thousand dollar machine so it's, mm-hmm. you see it across the board but i i know luke was having some belt problems with his x carve and then he eventually got the i think a one finity that's but, usually what people do it's like it used to be it used to be when your when your x carve died you got a shape oko because it was just a better machine 
And now when your X-Carve dies, you get a one-finity. But now it's so crazy how much the, the three big consumer manufacturers have pushed each other to just make better machines. Like, it, the, the competition is fierce. The Onefinity, the X-Carve, and the Shape Oko. The three companies are just beating the hell out of each other, trying to come up with the best machine. The best machine It's like, good, you guys just keep doing that because as a customer, I like this. This is good for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. They'll get better and better and better every day, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dave, Dave, 3D DIY Dave, who is a basically becoming a folk hero in our space, one of my bucket list items for Maker Camp this year was to get 3D scanned because I've always wanted to get 3D scanned. I've actually always wanted to buy a 3D scanner, but it's an investment that I really, well, that's not really true. I probably could justify it, but I realistically can't justify it. It would take a long time to justify it. But I've been wa- I was watching him do it, and then he said he was going to Maker Camp, and he would scan anyone that was there. And I'm like, okay, add that to the list. So basically, I had two bucket list items for Maker Camp. Get photographed by Mark Adams, get scanned by Dave. That was my, <laughs> those were my two things. And I got my scan and I'm, I'm, you know, it's such a cool thing to be able to just like have this little model of yourself, like a little digital version of me. And yeah, maybe it's a little bit of ego stroking and it's fine. But I always thought it was just like, okay, this is cool. I can make like a, I actually posed in such a way that I could make a pewter mold from of myself. So like I kept my arms at my side so I didn't have like holes like, you know, islands basically when I tried to make a mold, I did that intentionally so that I could make um like a pewter cast. Cause I really want to make a pewter version of myself. I have no idea why I want to do this, but I just do. So I'm thinking of all these fun little goofy things I can do. I'm watching Instagram a couple of weeks ago and I, I put a message in my, I put a message in my stories. I'm like, I am so sick. Send I'm sick. Send memes. That's all I did. I put it in my stories. I said, I'm sick. Send memes. And people were sending me stuff to cheer me up. And it worked tremendously. And one of the people that sent me something was Nick Birchtold. And he goes, hey, you got to keep this one quiet, but I'm going to show you something. And it's this video of something rotating on the screen. And it took a second to register what I was looking at. Why don't you tell people what you did and what your thought process is? I don't want to give away the the punchline yet. Why don't you tell people the crazy wild thing you did with the scans that Dave has done over the last couple of years and how the idea came to be? So I'd like to start by saying I did the exact same thing you did, even by altering my physical appearance. I cut, <laughs> I shaved all the head off, all the hair off my head before I got <laughs> scanned because I have a a pretty good knowledge of what 3D prints well and what does not 3D uh-huh. print well and having to use support <laughs> material and not use support material. I yep. put my arms on my sides. I shaved the beard down, tucked it in when I got scanned. You can no tell the people head. you can tell the people that know 3D printing by the way they pose for this thing because you know what they're going to do. The people that know 3D printing had their arms at their side, their legs are spread wide enough, but there's there's no like they're not like hunched over in a weird pose. They're kind of standing upright like everybody. We all kind of know how a 3D printer works. We posed like we were being 3D printed. It's so funny. Yeah, so Mine, and then I 3D printed mine. Dave gave me the file the day I got, like, right after he scanned me. I had a flash drive with me. I'm like, I'm going right to the shop. I'm going to 3D print myself. So I put myself in architecture models now, 3D printed versions of myself. I hide them all over the house. You're like the SketchUp guy. (laughs) So I put them all over my house. I have them all over my shop. I can send them out with anything that I make if I feel like I want to, if I want people to have a copy of me. And then with Dave's, I was like, 
Dave's going around the country and the whole goal is to scan makers for free. He doesn't take any money from it. He doesn't make any money on it. And I was just like, this is awesome. So I was happy to be a, a part of, I was beyond happy to be a part of it. I was excited. I was excited to even get scanned. Yeah. And then when I too. log in and I see he's got 80 different people scanned so far and that number could probably be bigger. I've heard some people that are now regretting that they didn't get scanned when they had the chance to get scanned. Mm -hmm. But I basically compiled all 80 makers, brought them into my 3D modeling. Um, the 3D modeling choice of mine is Rhino. So I brought them all into Rhino. And then I started, it might sound kind of crude, but cutting the heads off of everybody <laughs> and then kind of arraying them out in a grid. And then that's what Vincent's referring to now is I had this just grid of eight by 10 zoomed in on Vincent's face and then zoom out and then show all 80. And then that got translated into, I had this idea to do like a game of Thrones thing. That was their graphic arts through HBO for their show was, it always stuck with me seeing those commercial graphics and then billboards in Chicago with just the faces, stoic faces in a, a masonry wall with a, some columns and iconic columns. So then I started 3D modeling that and then putting faces into that and then kind of parametrically designed through Rhino. Um, paneling tools is what I use is I can model one tile and then I can use paneling tools to kind of offset the depths and everything. And then I can wrap that around any shape I want to. So then okay. I made a whole column of 80 different maker faces with a Game <laughs> of Thrones theme. And then once I had that, I was like, I can make this into a mallet. So the mallet or the mallet challenge through Makers Challenge Central, I I won the mallet challenge last year. So this was kind of me throwing down the gauntlet or defending my title. And <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go balls to the wall on this. And every step of the way, it just got more advanced and more advanced and more advanced to the point of like, I don't even know if this is going to work. I don't know if any of it's going to work. And then so many people reached out to coach and... I was getting epoxy tips from Suman and Dave was over the moon about the whole thing. I was sharing him just like I share with you of like, this is the process. And it was straight up one week of no sleep doing the design. And then another week of no sleep building the thing. And my photographer buddy in Chicago, Oscar, he works second shift. So we were filming in between our work shift. So I worked first shift, he worked second shift. We were meeting up at 4.30 in the morning for five days in a row to film the process of this thing, which oh I'm super God. excited to share when he gets that video edited together. But he would straight up drive to my shop at four o'clock. I would meet him here at 4.30. We would build, I would build, he would film, he would go home, I would go to work. He would go home and go to sleep, I would go to work. <laughs> I, I, my reaction, I, I mean, I, I it was hard to encapsulate my reaction when I saw it because I kind of saw where you're going with it and I'm like, oh my god, this is this is ridiculous. Like this is so ridiculous. Like I've seen so many cool projects over the years where somebody has in some way involved themselves. Like I I missed out I missed out on making a piece of 3D printed Jimmy for Maker Camp because um, I didn't my 3D printer just wasn't set up when I moved so it was just whatever it is what it is but it's it was like damn i missed out on that and then you know to just see myself included on this and seeing how cool it was and you know everyone i've shown it to is like 
oh, that's like Game of Thrones. Like they get it immediately. It's it's so you've done such a good job of taking something iconic and putting your own spin on it. And everyone that loves Game of Thrones that I know that I've shown this to has gone, that's cool. It's just like Game of Thrones, but it's got you in it. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a fun, crazy build and no one more to thank than 3D DIY Dave. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 the enabler here, like totally the enabler. So if he was if he was selling the 3D model files, I would have bought all the 3D model files. He's I would have free. I, you know, that's the one thing in this community that never stops amazing me is the amount of knowledge and time and energy that people share freely. Like, I, I, can't, I can't imagine, like, charging for my knowledge to us, to, to other makers. Like, I, I can't. You know, there are certain things that I, I know how to do, and I've gotten to the point where it's like, I'm just, if it's something that I think might interest people i'm just going to make a youtube video and give away the information i don't want to i've never not helped somebody that's dm'd me because and it's not because i'm this great altruistic person i'm not giving myself a pat on the back but i would almost feel embarrassed to not do that in the crowd of people that we're around like it's it's hard to go i'm going to charge for my knowledge while dave's giving away 80 models of people and for those of you that don't know the process Dave doesn't just scan you, put you in the computer, and send you an email. Every one of those 80 models has been cleaned up. You know, he showed me the original scan at at Maker Camp, and it didn't look as good as the final scan that he ended up putting up on printables. So Yeah, he walked me through that process, too. Um, It's wild. You scan the floor. The scans, sometimes they're a little weird, and the way it triangulates things, it sharp points he goes through and smooths them all the top of people's head, like the top of my head was kind of caved in on the scan so he goes in and pops it back out and i had a big dent in my and- back i had a big dent in my back because there was a shadow from above and i had like this weird dent and he goes don't worry we'll f- i'll fix that before i send you the file i'm like that's crazy <laughs> like wow it's so it's right, so yeah. crazy like but yeah how do you how do you as a maker like not participate in this like if i have something to share and my maker friends need need it shared oh absolutely i'm sharing everything i know you know i'll give you the shirt off my back literally give you the shirt off my back because that's what everyone in this community does it's almost like that's where the bar is the bar is give it away and be generous with your time and your knowledge so i try to help everyone who asks me questions as well it's just i don't not many people are using Rhino, so it's it's tough for me because Rhino is the sure. thing I know the most about. Of but most people are using Fusion 360. So right now my dad's learning Fusion 360, so he's walking me through some of that. So in the future, kind of hoping to help people with that as well. And then Corey with his machine too. It's I'm going to figure out how to use it. and I'm going to share that process. I always felt I always felt like oh man, this sucks because I never felt like I had the specialized skills that some of the people in our community have. But recently, for some reason, I've become known as a guy that knows Adobe Illustrator really well. And I get Adobe Illustrator questions now all the time. It's like, hey, this isn't working. Could you take a look at this for me? Or, you know, how is this? How do you get this done? Or I'm done with this. Can you please help me get this done? And I have no problem. Yeah, I, you know, I had Grant, Grant messaged me a couple of weeks ago. 
and it was late. And I'm like, yeah, let me give me a minute. Let me uh, let me jump out. Let me jump out and take a look at it. You know, I'm sorry. It was Austin rather Austin high caliber, high caliber craftsman. He's like, I need this shape. Can you make this shape for me? I can't get it to work. I never thought for a minute of going, dude, do it yourself. Like, no, I was like, yeah, all right. Give me a second. I actually got out of bed, came out to my desk and I'm like, <laughs> all right, how do I get this shape to work? Yeah, I can make that shape. I can make that shape. But it's just because that's what the community does. And now I realize like, oh, that's, that's what I can bring to the community. You know, people have asked me how to start a podcast. It's like, oh, okay. That's something I can help people with. Sure. Yeah. Let's, I can help you get started with that. Sure. So. Say Illustrator is such a valuable tool. Oh, it's and wonderful. I I hate that Adobe does these stupid subscriptions for their products it. now. It used to be it. you could just buy the product and use the product. Now it sucks and it's it's taken it away from a lot of the people who would buy the product because they're not going to pay the subscription. Mm-hmm. But it's it's so valuable. I use Illustrator every day as well, and I think you could probably go on the offensive and start showing people how to do things easier. I mean, yeah, I have a couple accounts on Instagram that they just show you Photoshop and Illustrator tools. And it's like, fuck, I didn't even know you could do that. And <laughs> the way they, I don't use it to make, I use it to make graphics, but I don't use it the way you should use it to make graphics. It's mm-hmm. someone can start with two lines and then the way you morph those lines and thicken and thin. And yep. I can't figure that out. I, I, if I have an idea, I can make the idea the long way, but there's so many shortcuts. The red, the light kicked on for me when I did. So I did a YouTube video how to how to layer um, line art in Adobe Illustrator. I did a YouTube video on that, and the light kicked on for me that I had knowledge that maybe the average user doesn't necessarily have. When I showed it to um, a friend of mine, um, Rebecca Cole, who's actually been on this show, I showed it to her. I was like, "Look what I can do now," and she goes. That's brilliant. I've never thought to do it that way. And then she told some of her friends at work and they're like, oh, you know, and you're like, oh, have I just figured like, you know, you sit up a little bit and you go, have I just figured something out? Like, this is cool. Okay. And then you go, all right, well, I guess I have to share it now because more than one person didn't know. So it's like, that's, that's the penalty. Once you find out, you know, something, you have to share it. (laughs) Again, it's, Illustrator is so valuable. The, mm. the vector quality of it. You can pull that. I can pull vectors into Rhino and start to mill these things and laser yep. cut them and three D print them. And that's what I use it mostly for for making stuff for the Glowforge. And and you know as a starting point because I can design something super fast in Adobe Illustrator faster than any other program I work with now. I can whip together something and just get the actual basic shapes the vectors set up and then just throw it into fusion or even carbide create, which is what I use most of the time. Cause I'm lazy, um, throw it into carbide create and do my tool paths there and boom, I'm done. Like it's, it just, it, the, my workflow just works that way. My hands, I, some, somebody, I was doing a tutorial video. One of the tutorial videos I did took me four takes. Why? Not because I didn't know what I was doing, but because I've never had to explain what I'm doing. And I don't know what every step is. Your hands and your brain are just kind of in that flow state and they're just doing things. It's like, oh, right. I have to explain that I hit a key here and I have to explain that I click here, you know, but the hotkeys hot still get me. V oh, yeah. Point. The more you I know, know a couple, but I don't know a lot. Once you the, the more of them, you know the faster you get. And that's what, that's what I was 
you know, in my prior job, I was working in a, in a corporate environment and people would come into my office and say, hey, can you help me design this? You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I would pull up a blank canvas and it would just be like, click, 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 mouse, click, tablet, tab. You know, I have my tablet, my stylus and my tablet next to me. And, you know, my left hand is sitting on the keyboard and I'm just hitting keystrokes and drawing and hitting keystrokes and drawing. And, and it would just be like, I, it just, it just happened. Like my brain just goes into, okay, we're producing this right now. And at one point, one of the guys says, how do you do that so fast? Like, how do your hands know where to go? I'm like, I don't know. They just do. <laughs> they just do. They go where they go. It's interesting you mentioned the Adobe subscriptions because a lot of people hate that, right? I was somebody who was buying Photoshop every other year, like literally buying it every other year. I was, I never, I had a pirated copy of Photoshop when I was younger. And as soon as I had the ability and the, the wherewithal, the financial ability to pay for it, I started paying for it. And I said, okay, I'm not going to upgrade every year. I'm not that idiot. I'm going to upgrade every other year. And I was, I probably sunk thousands of dollars into Photoshop alone. And for me, the subscription is saving me a fortune, like to be able to just go, okay, it cost me this much. It cost me this much a year, but I'm getting ever. I mean, I was paying $700 a year for Photoshop. Now for $700 a year, I'm getting every app Adobe makes in one bundle with unlimited access to all of them and being able to use it on two different computers. I mean, I'm not trying to pitch for Adobe, but I understand where the value proposition isn't there for a lot of people, but for someone like me, it's a, it's actually a bargain, but yeah, I get it. <laughs> I used CS3 for probably 10 years, 15 years. Sure. I loved it. Knew everything yeah. that I needed to know about it in there, mm -hmm. but now we're up. CS6 or 7, whatever it is now. But the office supplies that for me, so I don't have to I don't have to physically buy it. And I don't know if I would. I, I might try to pirate a copy. I always wanted... Copy. My office provided me the copy I used on my office computer, which was great. The problem is with Adobe, you can only use it on two. So I couldn't use it on my home computer and my laptop and my office computer. It's like, damn it. All right, fine. My computers get my subscription. My office computer gets the office subscription. Fine. But it's it's such an integral part of, I mean, even I watch people that really aren't technical people or designers, or, but they all have current versions of Adobe Creative Cloud installed and running. It's, they've just, they and Autodesk have kind of taken over our space for the most part. Just two companies just running the show. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Man, one more thing with Illustrator that, people should know is that live trace like they're trying to get my dad to learn how to use illustrator too because he wants to do laser cut marketry and i'm like you just oh. bring in a graphic and then you live trace it in however many colors you want and then you have all of your laser cut parts yep. all colored and then cut all those out yep he yep. won't do it but <laughs> there's so much there's what amazes me about illustrator in particular i've photoshop kind of is what it is there's the processes don't change, right? Illustrator is a much deeper program, much deeper. And what continues to amaze me about Illustrator is how much I'm learning after using it every single day since 2017. Like, I mean, I barely knew it when I started at the job I had prior. I knew it enough to be conversant, but not enough to be functional. And I had to learn it on the job. 
But now it's one of those things where it's like, oh, man, like I'm just every day. It's like, oh, well, that's a new way to do that. Oh, that's a new way to do that. That's And every October, there's a major revision. So it's like, oh, okay, well, guess what? <laughs> you thought you were good before. Here's all the cool stuff for this year now. Enjoy. <laughs> See you in October. <laughs> but Yeah. So what do what was software wise? What do you, you said? You use Rhino. Do you use any other tools in your in your and Illustrator? Do you use any other tools in your day to day or in your in your making stuff? Or those are my two. Those are my two big ones: are mm-hmm. Illustrator and Rhino. Um, now I have Rhino has a plugin called Rhino Cam, so I do all of my CNC cam work in Rhino. Okay, where it, that's huge for me, and like Fusion three hundred and sixty is that's capable of doing that now too. But it used to be. I do all my 3D model work in Rhino and then bring it in a master cam. So then if you have any changes, you have to re-export and re-import and hope everything lines up. And now <laughs> it's all there. If I need to make an adjustment on the fly, I can just move a point. I can draw a new line. I can. It's so much better in one program. Yeah. But like even now it's to use the cam master. My dad uses like Aspire. They'll 3D model in Fusion and then do all the cam work in Aspire anyways. But. I cannot, I could not figure out, I could not figure out V-Carve at all. Like, I I don't know what it was. It was was like a mental block. You know, it's it's funny how much software is in this space, the CNC space, right? There's, you know, obviously all the manufacturers have their own little software, whatever. But then you got your, you got V-Carve and Aspire, which I cannot, you know, I'm amazed. My buddy Al at New York Woodworks, I'm amazed at what he does with with Aspire. Like he just his like like mine is with my brain is with Illustrator. His is with Aspire. It's like oh, just click, click, come over here, click, click. No, it's right here. Click, click, click. I couldn't get it to do anything. You know, Corey. I'm not Corey. Um, uh, Chris was really um, into Carveco. I tried that. I couldn't make it do anything. Like I couldn't figure out Carveco for nothing. Fusion, thank God for Jeff. He kind of got me into a place where if I if I needed to, I could use Fusion. But man, there's just a lot out there. It's like depending on your level of understanding, there's something for you to use. <laughs> so yeah, I get. I'll dive into that a little bit too. It's Rhino. The company, the program I use is Rhino with Rhino Cam. That's probably mm-hmm. two thousand. It's a two thousand dollar program. At university, we were using Mastercam, which is probably a ten thousand dollar program. And then at the gun shop, we were using SurfCam, which is a $30,000 program. The $30,000 program, you can make it do anything. There's a million different options in there. The RhinoCam option has eight different options for four axis milling. So it's like you have to find, I find tricks and little things and little workarounds all the time. Of When I cut it like this, it does this. When I cut it like this, it does that. When I cut it with this bit compared to this bit, I can get it to do what I want it to do, but there we're back to the trial and error it's i need that computer simulation to show me what's physically going to be made when i make it because it's mm-hmm. not easy like you get into four axis machining it's on rhino cam you got a couple options you can do parallel finishing you can do cross grain finishing you can do roughing passes and something like surf cam you can start to get into swarf cuts where you're using the side of the router bit, not the bottom of the router bit, oh, which Jesus produces Christ. glass-like finishes that don't need to be sanded. Wow. Because you never use the, the router bit. You got two inches of cut depth, so you can use all two inches of it. You can take bigger cuts, you can cut faster, and you can cut smoother. Wow. But trying to program my knowledge of like swarf cutting is 
I know what it is and I know what it does, but my computer program won't generate it. So now I get to go in and kind of contour my model and then offcut things by an inch outside of the line instead of on the line to do swarf cuts. It's kind of like when you're trying to do chamfers with a V car with a V bit on a piece of with a CNC because you can't really do a chamfer. You you nope. you know chamfer is put the point x number of you know millimeters away from the edge and have it run around the profile and there's your chamfer. <laughs> it's like oh okay it's it's weird workarounds are like a way of life like Corey was talking about when he was designing the when he was done designing the cyclone because i was curious like okay we know how the machine works but how do you design for it and basically you're designing a lay flat you're basically making a flat shape and the machine goes at this point it's going to be you know to get to this point it takes this many steps on the motor to turn the wood to and i was like Oh, I was like so many light bulbs came on when I was talking to him because like, oh, now I really understand this. Like, this is really cool. But yeah, it's, that one, it's all yeah, workarounds. His, yeah, his machine writes it as three axis, not four axis. So it is mm-hmm. you on the computer program is going to unroll it and you'll see just like you would see doing a three axis command of topography or lettering or whatever. Which is wild because that that thing that you posted in your feed with all the maker heads on the on the on the like the plaque, that would kind of be the way your mallet would look in Corey software. Because that's actually what I was. was That's kind of what it looked like to me. I was like, "Oh, look, he unrolled it. That's cool." (laughs) Oh man, it's it's so. I, I I love I love that you have all this technical knowledge and then you know because if I just look at what you're making right I just go oh that's really cool stuff that he makes but like you have a lot of technical knowledge and you have a lot of background to what you're doing I had no idea that you had so much experience in the field of doing this stuff I thought you were just a, a, a like Jeff like a crazy hobbyist so that's what I call myself it's like, <laughs> this isn't what I do, what I call my business isn't really a business. I sell, I sell the things I want to sell, but Mm -hmm. it's not, I'm not open for business. It's, this isn't, this isn't my main source of revenue. Right. You're an artist. It is an an extreme hobby. (laughs) Extreme hobby. (laughs) That's a a good way to put it. Actually, an extreme hobby. Um, Is there anything, is there anything that you don't have in your shop that you're, you're, I mean, I know you, like I, we talked about already, that you've already ordered a Cyclone, but is there anything that you're, you know, any tools that you want to add to your personal shop where you're like, that would really, that would probably give me a little bit of elevation. That would be like the next, the next logical step for me. Is there anything like that in the future for you or? It's a money thing, but a robot, a robot arm to do six axis milling. What the hell is six? You know, I have trouble once you get past four. I don't really understand what, what would six, what is six? Is it just, what? I'll explain all of them if you want. I, I, I mean, if it's possible to explain, I'd love to have them explain because I just don't understand. Like I kind of get like three, I get four. I'm a little fuzzy. And I was like, I hear people saying five and six now. And it's like, wait, what the hell is five and six? So. So for me, my understanding and the way I try to explain it to other people who ask is three axis is X, Y, Z, left to right, front to back, up and down. Mm-hmm. Four axis introduces the A and B, which you can rotate either front or back. So right. think of it like a cylinder. Five axis, you can now rotate the four axis that's rotating in a full 360 kind of way or a 180, but 
Ah. Like a half, a half sphere, maybe so a little a, under. If A and B rotates the left and right, then C and D rotate the front and back over it. Kind of like, kind. yeah, like a clock that goes okay. in a cone almost. If you think a cone but blossoming like a flower, that would be okay. five axis. So my example for that is like a, think of a boat propeller where you can't cut it off from one direction because there's undercuts. Mm-hmm. That five axis gives you the ability to rotate that part to get that undercut. Gotcha. And okay. A robot for me, the ideal robot would be something that's huge and in a room all by itself where you, you kind of mount your workpiece in the middle and then this thing can get to every side of it. So it just three swings axis around it. Is three Did... sides of an object, four axis is four sides of an object, five axis is five sides of an object, and then six axis is the whole dice. You can cut every side of that die. Have you ever seen have you ever seen the YouTuber? Um, I think his name is Stuff Made Here. Um, he's like he's um, he basically designed a chainsaw that can carve a, a stump on a robotic arm. It's exactly what you're talking about. Like he, and of course it barely worked and looked super sketch, but it was really cool watching him kind of design this thing and then come try to solve all the problems that come along with making it. <laughs> but he ended up yeah. he did end up with something that re- somewhat resembled a bear when he made it. So that was pretty cool. I think you'd probably dig at least that video of his. I think you'd probably dig. Oh yeah, I'll be looking into it. <laughs> oh yeah, he's I he's to stay privy to all of it, but so many people are doing so many amazing things out on YouTube now. It's this is another one that I've never heard of, but I'll be looking into. Oh my God, he has. Um, I what's his follower count? His follower count is at four million subscribers at this point, and he made this video. I'm just gonna quickly jump back because it wasn't that long ago. He did, uh, come on, come on, where is it, where is it, where is it? Uh, never mind. It's, I'm not going to find it before we're done. Oh, there it is. Chainsaw Robotic Arm Art. 6.8 million views one year ago. <laughs> and all his videos are very long and very detailed, so it's not like he's just um, doing a cool, quick project, and it's like, you know, a U- typical YouTube videos. His videos are like 20 to 25 minutes long, but they're so fun to watch. Like, watching him go through the process and almost kill himself a million times. It never gets old. <laughs> so, why don't we um, why don't we jump over and talk about things of the week? Because you and I both, you and I both, it's funny you mentioned one of your things of the week is actually something I wanted to mention too. So, we'll call it a thing of the week, but it's kind of a co thing of the week. So, the first one is going to be something that we both wanted to talk about real quick, and then we'll get into your other thing of the week. So. Uh... Sure, all of you will hear by the time this podcast airs. But Andy Berkey's shop burnt down, so yep. they've set up a, a GoFundMe to kind of get him some some money to rebuild. So he's trying to look out for another Illinois woodworker. His um, it's the picture is horrific. Like I, 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 it's it's. I mean, if you're going to put a picture for a fundraiser for something like this, that is the picture you put for a fundraiser for something like this because it just it 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 just hits you right in the gut. It just hits you right in the gut. And Andy is Andy's one. Andy is good people. Um, he's given a lot to this community over the years. So, if you if you have it within your abilities, definitely. It's at GoFundMe.com slash f slash Berkey's dash shop dash fund, and I'll have the link in the show notes for this, obviously. But definitely, if you can kick in a few bucks, it's not going to hurt. They're up to they're trying to raise a million dollars, which I think is awesome. Um, I'd love to see him get a million dollars. 
Um, but they've already raised $23,000, which is absolutely fantastic because as we were discussing earlier, this community is impossibly generous, both with time and treasure. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one. We should all kick a few bucks in, help out. Um, cause I know, I know if he was able to, he would definitely do the same for the rest of us. So awesome. What is your, what's your thing of the week this week, Nick? So I gave it some thought, and one of the guys I look up to is uh, Roy's Boxes, and he's okay. doing some crazy pixelated art. He turns them on a lathe, and then he wood burns them, and then he colors them, and I bought a couple myself, and they are showpieces in my house. Holy crap. Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. I'm Wow. <laughs> But I bought one of the, the Mario ones and one of the Zelda ones. So they are phenomenal. The craftsmanship on them, in my opinion, is unparalleled. The, he makes these as boxes. And you screw them and unscrew them. There's only, they only go on one way and they line up perfectly every single time. It's insane. Oh, so that's, that's another gosh. goal of mine is to figure out how he's doing the wood threading. I can't even wrap my head around this. This is incredible so he's he's one of those guys that he's always doing something different too and now it's it's the pixel art but his bandsaw boxes from a year or two ago also incredible unreal what beautiful stuff this is definitely one you're going to want to check out it's roy's box r-o-y-s box.com wow <laughs> just i'm gonna probably be just sitting here la- later just like scrolling through all his stuff because there's a there's a lot of meat on that bone. This is incredible. So, huh. I'm always waiting to see what he comes up with next, and I would love to work with him. If he's I'm interested. gonna have I'm gonna have to see if I can get Simon on the show. <laughs> you, you have to see if I can make that happen. <laughs> you know, he 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 fits what I'm looking for in a guest. <laughs> wow, that's a good one, man. I've not heard of this guy. This is incredible. All right, I got to stop looking at it. I, I can't stop looking at the pixel art. Is just because I mean, if if anyone listens to the show, they know how much I love retro video games. So pixel art is like it's right in my wheelhouse. Like that's what I love. That's in fact my thing of the week is actually a video game. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, um, my birthday was Saturday. I turned the wonderful forty-seven. So I'm forty-seven years old now, and I didn't have plans for my birthday, so I was like, okay, I'm going to make this the ultimate just be a lazy sack, enjoy my birthday type day. So I made myself a taco dinner, and I had um, I had leftover pizza from the night before for lunch, Like, I, and I was living my best life watching YouTube. And then the Royal Rumble was Saturday night, so of course I was watching that, and I had a couple hours to kill, and I'm like all right, I'm going to finally do it. I'm going to finally do it. I'm going to finally do it. And I took out my Nintendo Switch, and I ordered Pokemon Violet. And let me tell you something. As technically awful as the game is, because there are a lot of bugs in this game, there are. There is no avoiding it. There are some definite problems with the game. But for all of its faults, it is such a fun game. It is just, it's basically everything I loved about Pokemon when I was a kid now brought forward with the graphics from Pokemon Go, which is the game that everybody plays on their phone. 
into the Pokemon universe. And it's just, it's amazing. Like, it's super fun. I played it for hours on Saturday, and I enjoyed every minute of it. So if you're, if you're a Pokemon fan and you haven't gotten Scarlet or Violet yet, I would say get it. It's not, there are bugs in the game. I haven't hit any game-breaking bugs. I have hit some, like, can't move, like, stuck bugs. I have hit some that didn't draw correctly bugs. You'll notice, like, sometimes characters don't walk at full full speed in front of you because, for some reason, they just don't render correctly. But little things like that, they don't really affect the gameplay. The core gameplay is fine. Everything else, you'll, you'll get over it. You'll get used to it. You'll just deal. But it's, it's worth playing. It's super fun. They have, for $59.99, you can get Violet or Scarlet. I bought Violet because I love purple, as everyone knows. But you can get for $99.99 in, I think, two weeks, you can buy a dual pack that has Scarlet and Violet. So you can have both games. They're, they're different. They're very different. They're not, they're not the same game. But, yeah, there you go. So Pokemon Violet is my thing of the week because I am a child at heart. <laughs> you know who isn't a child at heart? Well, they might actually be children at heart, but it's the people that support this show financially. I'm sure some of them are young at heart. Um, those people include Matthew Serio from Artigiano Serio, Big Al Schultz of New York Woodworks, Tori Decker of Tori Did It, Ed Swanson of Ed's Clocks and more, Jake Drews of Make with Jake, Megan Chris from Onyx Designs Woodwork, Christian Neary of Warren Works, who I will be hanging out with, actually as this airs, I will have hung out with on Monday, and he should be our guest next week. Um, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. A Weird Guy, Kim and Garrett from Kim and Garrett Make It, Rory Langefeld of RLO Woodworks and DIY, Robert J. Keller, Rebecca Cole of Beck C Designs, Brian Arsenault of Seven Hills Maker, Lars Coleman of Colorado Multicraft, Dave Bauer of Dave Bauer Art. Oh, look at this. Nick Birchtold of Birchtold Design Build. I know that guy. Um, <laughs> Jeremy Spies, Mike from Pixels to Prototype, Donald LeBlanc of Fun with Woodworking, Grant Alexander of The Clamp Podcast, Brad Harrison of Brad's Customs, and Billy Poulton of Poulton Projects. Thank you to everyone that supports the show financially. I really appreciate it, and I couldn't do it without you, and I probably wouldn't want to do it without you. Um, if you can't support the show financially, that's fine too. Feel free to leave a review, share the show, send it off to someone else who might be interested. And who knows, maybe we end up with a fan. Um, yeah, everything you do to spread the show is greatly appreciated, whether it's financial or word of mouth, because word of mouth definitely keeps things going. So Nick, the big question, aside from tools, You've just com you've just completed what's probably your magnum opus project, at least in our space. Like, it's gonna be that's gonna be a tough one to top. So now the question, two questions: What do you have anything cooking for what's next? And two, are you kind of worried that this one's gonna suck all the air out of the room and it's gonna be like, uh oh, do I have to top myself or can I like just do something cool next? Like, cause. I always get nervous when I do something really big and epic and crazy and something that is way beyond what I would normally do. And then I have to come back and go, okay, but you still have to do the other stuff too. Like, do you, what's next? And are you worried about where you put the bar with this one? <laughs> so I'd like to keep, I mean, I have a couple other ideas and designs in mind to kind of use Dave's information and take it a little further with kind of a, a bigger sculptural piece mm -hmm. at the moment i'm i filmed so i filmed the youtube video of making the game of thrones maker challenge mallet 
So I made two. I made one basically the night before the, my buddy came in to film and then one while he filmed. So that is, I poured the epoxy on that right before we started talking tonight. So oh, that'll wow. be on the mill again early next week. And then I made some design changes to that to, I think, make it better on this one. The, the top layer is just, it's too dark. And for me, when I, sh the way I want to share this is, and I always thought in my mind, it was going to be a failure if you're on there and you can't tell which one is you. And even <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Price reached out because he, 50% uh, of these guys are wearing baseball caps and have beards. So it's like, <laughs> which one am I? There's too many with the baseball cap and the beard. Can you just tell me where I'm at? And I'm like, you're two rows down from Derek from Malden. Just look for the biggest beard with the hat. <laughs> so that, to me, I just want, I'm not sharing so much of this one. I shared what I wanted to share so far. And there will be a video on it. So people will be able to see the entire thing if they're interested. The second one doesn't have that dark spot. And I've made some alterations to the handle. So we'll see how that one goes. And if that one's not up to my liking, I'll make another. And trying to just do i love the 3d space it's us yeah I, i'm I gonna make stuff with us on it that's that's, that's what wild. i'm interested in right now and and what's cool is that as dave adds people you can you'll be adding the it's gonna it's like the stanley cup it's just gonna get bigger and bigger every oh, year <laughs> i'm trying to i'll send you a picture after this but i well, the second mallet will be going to dave and i'm hoping that he he's already talked about taking it to workbench con so people can see it in person but I'm fabricating a stand that it sits on that has all of our names engraved on it as well. And then we're trying to come up with a graphic that I made for it with the Game of Thrones theme, the Maker Scans, the original 880. So it's like, it's us. We were the first to do it and <laughs> we'll be, we'll always be the first. So That's so cool. It's, be, it's so it's cool. Gonna be cool when he, yeah. When he adds to it, it's going to be cooler and cooler and that wall just gets bigger and bigger. But for now, we're the original 80. I'm not going to get to see it at Maker at um, at WorkbenchCon, but I'm really hoping he'll bring it over to uh, to Maker Camp. Although he lives in Queens, I could just uh, Dave come over for a little while. I want to see that damn mallet. <laughs> it's not that far, like a you know an hour drive. I can make it. <laughs> so I've uh, had a couple requests for that as well. So if I make a third, it, that one will probably be going to Maker Camp for the Maker Swap. Yeah. Oh. Wow. <laughs> You're going to blow the curve there, buddy. You better calm down a little bit. Were you at Maker Camp? Were you at Maker Camp this year? I was not. You were not. Okay. Okay. Normally, I do not like to travel. <laughs> no. Nah, honestly, I if it wasn't for Keith, it wasn't for Keith from Blackthorn, um, Blackthorn Concepts pushing me as much as he, he didn't really push me. I say that a lot. I mean, it. I say it jokingly, but he really did kind of convince me to go. Like I kind of went just to shut him up and I'm glad I did because I really did have like, it was like the best day ever. I was in a, I was in a real terrible spot, like mentally, emotionally and all that. And then going, going to maker camp really just pulled me right out of it. And it, it changed my whole, it put me in a good place for the rest of, for the rest of the year almost. So I can totally like justify going next year. I don't have to be convinced this time. I'm going to go. I'm going to figure out a way to be there all three days next year because it's just it's totally worth it. And it's it's an amazing experience. I hope I hope to see you there. I think I think you should come. <laughs> I've been giving it some serious thought and I, I did participate in Dave's 
Jimmy duress to print. I did promise Jimmy that I would try to get out there and see it someday. So he's I love his I love his emoji comments on all your posts. It's just like heart, 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 fire, smile, heart, heart, heart. <laughs> it's like he's the best. Jimmy he's the is the celebrity for me. And my wife even gets my wife's not big into the making stuff or anything, but she knows who Jimmy is and she's like Holy shit! Did you just see Jimmy was the first person to comment on your post? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, I saw it. I always joke. Those I always joke with him. Those. I always joke with Jimmy that it's like it's it's. I, I remember the one of the first times I had a real conversation with him. We were chatting, and I said, "He said something or other." I said, "Well, it's not like I have a screenshot of the notification the day you started following me on Instagram." He goes, and he just looked at me like, you don't. I was like, oh, of course I do. What are you kidding me? I said, let me tell you something. Anyone who says they don't have a screenshot of that notification is lying to you. Everyone has it in their camera roll somewhere is a picture that says Jimmy Duresta has followed you on Instagram. <laughs> so I think we all relate to it. I screenshotted it when I got mine. That was, exactly. I, I counted it like a win. It was a win. Of course it's a win. He's of the course greatest it's a win. dude. He really is. He's the he really nicest is. dude. And what's what's funny is the the what ama- what amazes me about him, you know, this maybe do a little bit of the Jimmy Admiration Society. Everybody knows I love Jimmy, so it's fine. But, you know, what amazes me about him is how much he's aware of everything that's going on and who's doing what and, you know, how much he pays attention to the content that we're all creating. Like you know, it, it doesn't. You know, we all watch him, right? We don't realize he's watching all of us too. Like he messaged a friend of mine, and he was chatting with them. He goes, "Good appearance on Digitally Creative, by the way." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like I, it, you know, every, it never gets old when I hear someone like him say he listens. You know, it's just it's awesome. So, yeah, I, like I said, we we think that we're only watching him, but he's really in tune with everybody else, which is probably why a conversation with him feels so right. It feels so natural because, like, oh, yeah, he's aware of your work, too. Whether you know it or not, he knows what you do most of the time. <laughs> so, yeah, it's crazy. He is, he is definitely – I know he hates the Godfather thing, but he is the Godfather. Like, that's it. He's got to wear that now. Yeah, it's it. It's, you are what you are. <laughs> it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. If he liked it. Right. Like if he wanted to be the Godfather, he wouldn't be the Godfather. He well, is was, what he is because of who he is. It was like that, that he was talking. I think he was talking about it on making it where it was like he was somebody commented on something or other. It's like, oh, how arrogant is this guy? He calls himself the Godfather. And he's like, I didn't give myself that name. <laughs> it's like, no, we gave him that name and we did it for a reason. So. Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, man. I've I've been I've been looking forward to this all day, so it's kind of cool just kick back and chat with you for a little bit, talk about all the stuff you're making, and especially especially that that mallet is just it's a it's a work of art. It is a true work of art, and it's I am honored to be a part of it. And believe me, when when I said send memes to make me feel better, you really did make me feel so much. I mean, physically, I still was sick, but emotionally i was in such a happy place when i saw my face on that mallet so it's it's absolutely spectacular and it really did cheer me up quite a bit because i wasn't in a good place that day so oh look at that oh that is so cool there we are that's a beautiful holder wow see if you watch this show if you watch this show instead of just listening to it you're getting a lot of information today guys (laughs) 
<laughs> is that me? No, is that's that... okay. Oh, <laughs> we're wearing the same thing and in the same pose. Just some, yeah, we did the same pose. We know how to three D print. That's we know it. how to be three D printed, and you did it in like the bronze. It's funny because I ran out of that. That's what I wanted to print it. I had some copper too, and I wanted to print it in that. But I think I'm just gonna paint it copper afterwards, or gold, or something. Oh, but I print I print everything in white. Everything's painted. Me too. <laughs> everything I print everything in white. I just I don't even have any other colors anymore. I realized I was just leaning on printing everything in white because it's the easiest color to paint, and just painting it afterwards anyway. So. White Absolutely. white PLA and then white primer over it, <laughs> or or clear gesso now thanks to Steve Casino, who changed Anything my life. Yeah. Anything metallic, I do a, a black primer, but usually white primer. Yeah, yeah. So what I what I've gotten in the habit of doing now, yeah, normally yes. So what I do is, in this case, I'll use the clear gesso and then black paint, like a, a layer of black matte acrylic. And then the metallic over that because I don't have black primer, but that works just as good. But yeah, you definitely want a black undercoat on metals. I've learned the hard way. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> where, where can um, where can people find you and keep up with your work? And as usual, I will have all of his links in the show notes. But where are you active, and where can people follow along with what you're doing? So you can find me anywhere at Birch Told Design Build. Uh, the drug of choice would be Instagram, but trying to build that YouTube channel now. There you go. It's 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 a, it's a hard it's a slog at the beginning, uh, but you know every little bit of growth feels bigger when you're in the beginning too. So it's kind of nice. Like you know you have when you're like me and you have 550 followers and you pick up 30 in a week. It's like that was a good week. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I you know John from Gen X Grown Up has been working on. They've been growing their YouTube channel too. He's up to they're just shy of 19,000 on their YouTube channel, and. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're, growth has slowed down. We're picking up about 10 to 20 people a day. I'm like, damn, I pick up like 10 to 20 a month. <laughs> you know, but hey, growth is growth. That's always do, always improving. Now, as long as that number ain't going down, I'm happy. That's all I'm looking for. Um, Me too. Obviously, I will have all of Nick's links in the show notes. Nick, who is also a paid supporter of this very show, who... I almost hyperventilated when I was like, Nick, Nick has subscribed to, I'm like, Oh, oh, wow. Okay, cool. (laughs) Some people you watch their work and you admire what they do. And then all of a sudden they're paying attention to your work. And it's like, Oh my God. (laughs) So man, I was very honored to read that love letter. I wrote you, but I, I just can't agree more with everything you talk about on the show. It's digitally creative. I fancy myself as digitally creative. You definitely are. You definitely are. Probably one of the most creative people that I know. And it's been really cool getting to know you and, you know, obviously getting to know you over the last couple of months, but um, watching what you're doing and being a part of your coolest project yet. So um, can't wait to see what you come up with next. And um, we're all looking forward to it. Um, We're also looking forward to next week where this show will be back. Um, I'm pretty sure if all goes well, um, as we're recording this, it is February 2nd, Thursday, February 2nd. Um, Christian Neary is going to be in my shop on Monday. And if all goes well, I will record the first ever episode of this podcast that will not be recorded online. It's going to be recorded in person with my guest in my shop if all goes well. And if it, 
Will it go well? Well, you're going to know next week (laughs) if the episode looks a little different. But until then, have a great week, everybody, and I will talk to you then.